and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Henk Kreienhoff. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. Their technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Henk onto the show. So, Henk, welcome. Could you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? All right. My name is uh, Henk Reinhoff uh, from the Netherlands. Uh, I'm 65 years old and uh, I have been, uh, the major part of my life, I have spent on the on the track, track and field. That's my uh, my world. I'm a coach in athletics. I coached uh, a former generation of athletes a long time ago, but I also have been working as a conditioning coach and uh, for the Olympic volleyball team, male and female for the Olympic hockey team. I work for soccer. In the beginning of the, the century or end of the last century, I worked for Juventus uh, soccer for one year and a half. I work with individual athletes and uh, I had the privilege to work with, uh, well, probably the best athletes in the world. And right now I'm... Uh, working with athletes from Kazakhstan, amongst them an Olympic champion in, in triple jump. Work on coaches' education. I'm an author of at least uh, th- three books uh, that are still available. One is called What We Need is Speed, about speed training. One is Methodology of Training for the 22nd Century, because coaches are rather slow in adapting new developments. And in Dutch, uh, a book called Stress, Fatigue, and, and Burnout, which is one of my, okay, hobbies let's say that so with with all of those different job roles what's your what's your job title what do you call yourself um yeah i would say a uh, 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 coach but uh, everybody's a coach now holland has uh, at least uh, one million coaches and uh, i don't feel uh, that i belong to this group of uh, coaches Co- coaches is a a meaningless term nowadays so it has no meaning anymore everybody can be a coach i used myself uh, as a performance consultant in the beginning of the 1990s before anyone else uh, adapted that though but that's also not really covering i don't give myself a job title anymore uh because it's it, number one too wide and i already spent even right now too much time talking about what i uh, did and what i do uh it's well, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't condense it's it into words. One term because it is many, many, many sided. I have research, education of coaches, coaching on the track, on the debate, training, or are you coaching? So there's many, many aspects to what I do. Fantastic. So obviously, you've, you've just rattled off loads of experience there, right? Loads of different uh, years worth of doing different projects. Uh, so. Yeah. In that extensive experience, what do you think are then the, the biggest developments you've seen in sports science throughout your career? 
Well, in sports science itself, there aren't too many developments to 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 disappoint you uh, a bit, maybe. Uh, the the main developments are uh, developments of, of technological uh, background. It's it's like working with video. We used to work with super eight cameras. It's working with electronic timing. It's all kind of equipment. It's more in in, in technology and equipment than really in in conceptual thinking or, or fundamental thinking about training. That's something that's neglected, and that kind of uh, uh, peeves me a bit. That 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 the most important thing uh, is is nowadays uh, toys for boys and tools for fools. Well, if you get what it's really uh, all about, there's a there's a a person attached to that body as well, or inside that body, from the coach as well as the athlete's uh, point of view. And let's forget them. We want to see the numbers, the data, the information, the big data, the the the, the game analysis, the, the the all the all the numbers. We are into numbers and not into people anymore. And I think that's not a very good development. So, how much of an impact do you think they those developments have had? Not much, not much, because there will there will always be progress, no matter what. So if you have an athlete of 12 years old, I, I'm pretty sure that if this athlete is 18 years old, he or she is stronger and faster and has a better endurance. There's always a natural development. You know, even if you don't do anything, people evolve. There's uh, better genes. There's uh, a matter of uh, statistics. So it doesn't matter in which country you live. Uh, uh, in 10 years from now, records will be broken if you have a very good system or a system that isn't uh, that good. So I think the contribution is not probably neglectable but isn't as big as we always uh, uh, assume i think that's uh, super interesting it leads us really nicely onto the issues that might be um yeah in the world at the moment with sports science so what what do you think are the biggest current issues with sports science and coaching uh oh the quite uh, quite a few as a matter of fact uh, uh one of these is of course the uh, the the I wouldn't see the discovery of the DNA. It has been there for the longest time, but but the analysis of DNA and look at uh, genetic factors. There's uh, more knowledge about uh, uh, signaling pathways, about how things uh, uh, work inside. Uh, but it doesn't all lead to a, a, a difference in training. Uh, coaches are pretty much doing the same thing like they did 40 years ago, despite the increase in, in, in knowledge and in scientific knowledge, uh, strange enough. So in the, in the fundamental thinking of coaches, there isn't much difference. There's development in techno- technological uh, evolution, but that's about it. So in terms of uh, the things that you think are then – going wrong within sports science at the moment what what do you think are then the big things which we have a problem well, with yeah it, it, it's it's not really things are going wrong uh, things are going uh, rather good for sports sciences at least and for sports scientists uh, the, the thing is that things i think uh, could be improved it's not that things are going so bad but things could be improved and improved a lot if there was a better uh, understanding between uh, uh, coaches and uh, sports scientists but sports scientists uh, seem to take over a lot of uh, thinking space of uh, uh, coaches and uh, a current generation of sports scientists, I'm not very happy with them, uh, I, I must say, because uh, talking to them, I, th- I think they, they they don't know the classics, they have no 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 uh, uh, respect for history, uh, Carmelo Bosco or Dave Coste on the who, Wait a minute! These guys were the founding fathers of, of modern uh, sports sciences and, and, and exercise physiology. You don't know who they are, so it's not 
of course, the sports scientist to blame. It's ed- is their education is to blame, because it's uh, I I have now one athlete who is uh, studying uh, human movement sciences, and um, I know that the program. It's a very 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 heavy program in in, in a very limited amount of time. So there's no time to go any deeper or look back in history what happened there. The thing is then that people start to surprise me with uh, the reinvention of the wheel. Again, have you heard of this? Uh, presenting it to me like it's, it's something new. And I said, well, yes, this is what we did 30 years ago. Really? Yes, I can show you the photos, the articles that we uh, read and the articles that, that we wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. So how can you, come you have missed it? <laughs> so this is one of the things that 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 kind of things. Well, that that there's room for uh, a lot of room for improvement. The other thing is the trend that any specialist in a field, which a sports scientist mainly is uh, focused on biomechanics or sports psychology or nutrition or whatever or physiology, whatever you take, uh, uh, leads to a kind of a tunnel vision, a kind of narrow mindedness. So you tend to neglect all the things that's outside of your field. And as scientists do say, well, I don't know. I didn't study that. You know, I'm biomechanics. I don't know much about exercise physiology or about uh, psychology. That's not my cup of tea. I didn't study that. And that's a pity because then then, then you're kind of missing the whole picture. And the coach uh, in, in, uh, normally is a generalist, which overlooks the, the whole picture, like in this helicopter view, has to oversee all those uh, things. So there's a fundamental misunderstanding then between um, the level of importance of a specialized field like biomechanics or sport psychology. And on the other hand, the coach they has to understand basically the, the relevance and the significance of every, every uh, different field. And do you think it's then important as a, a sports scientist or as a, a strength and conditioning coach, performance coach, whatever that might be, um, to then have a really broad understanding of what's going on, uh, both at the, the game level, but at the physiological level, the mental level, everything in between? Uh, yeah, they, 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 uh, I think they're pretty much uh, specialized in, the, in, in, the, in the, their, their field and, and they tend to neglect other factors. Well, a coach always knows the holistic part comes from the coach, not from the sports scientist. The sports scientist is, a, is a, I wouldn't say narrow-minded, but is, is, often has a tunnel vision. Looking through a microscope, you get lost in the forest and they start to look through the microscope to the structure of the leaves because the leaves are attached to the trees and the trees form the forest. But in the end, you still got lost. While the coach is looking for a way with his simple compass and his map to find a way out of the forest. I think that's a, a super interesting analogy and we can touch a little bit on how then to work as a team later. But then how do you think we can go about fixing some of these issues? If you, if you say, for example, the education uh, yeah. maybe doesn't do enough or that the, the sports scientists are too hyper-focused on their, their field, how can we go about improving that? It's a difficult one because don't forget, we're talking about two completely different worlds. We're talking about the world of a coach. There's a different background. Most coaches don't have an academic education and not educated as being scientists. Um, Coaches learn to deal with human beings. There are more relationship between a coach and a a teacher than a coach and a scientist, I think. You're teaching young people to go from A to B. Uh, That's one thing. Um, The other thing is the target is different. The sports scientist is mainly interested in publications and in science and is limited by, often limited by the the hobbies or the, the, the... the hang-ups of his own teachers. 
you see that a lot when a teacher is interested in one sport and he doesn't is not very interested if your teacher is interested in speed skating then he is not that much interested in boxing or in bobsledding or in any other sport so you learn everything about speed skating or about option uptake but you don't learn about hypertrophy of muscles which is already a different ball game so the coach is a generalist and have to look at all the other factors and the coach is getting paid for medals and records whereas a scientist is not getting paid for medals and records just to get a normal salary uh, basically and do you think so, then we need, we need to change that within our systems um yeah well it, it, once again it's not 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 a, a mistake i mean you couldn't call it a mistake but it's, it, that, that is that this develop this development is more or less organic and if it's de- developed, it's by the federation who pays the coaches and who is responsible for the education of the coaches or the association or the Olympic Committee. And on the other hand, it's the universities being responsible for the for the education of the sports scientists. So th- that's where the basic flaw is, and that will be a hard one to fix because that's fixed for the coming five or ten years now, most of the time. And it has been there for for it has been coming for some time. I think that's super interesting and obviously it takes uh, a lot of different people pulling in the right direction to, to change things. But do you think that individuals then, um, if you say, hey Matt, uh, I think if you did X, Y and Z, you could you could take yourself to the next level or get an edge on your uh, opponents, opponents, your competition. Do you <clears throat> think that individuals can then take it upon themselves to, to further themselves, change their background, learn different skill sets in order to, to be able to then fit into better systems better? Absolutely, absolutely. The coaches have to read more and study more. That's number one. And have to, uh, well, take a dictionary. I, I, I learned uh, different languages because I had uh, interesting articles in, in Czech, Slovakian language, but I didn't understand one word. So I bought a dictionary to understand what was said. Every coach should do that. So study as hard as you can. Most coaches don't read much of their literature anymore from books or articles. They rely only on the, the, the latest uh, trends that the fitness guru is uh, is uh, uh, saying through the internet, of course. And there's always some fitness gurus out there, which, which uh, well, uh, gurus, they're not real people who know they are gurus. That's something else. I think uh, that's, that's a very long conversation as well. Sorry, I, I, um, I, I broke you up there. What were you going to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, the, the other thing is that that uh, uh, sports scientists have to uh, adapt their language to the to the level of the coaches. And, and uh, if you read a scientific article, it's almost incomprehensible if you didn't spend much time on the university. That's number one. Uh, number two, they have to uh, try to get into the shoes of the coach and see why the coach is saying no to different things or embraces other things because there's a thought behind it. It's not a thoughtless uh, thing. There's a thought behind it. And the thought is that he is the conductor of the whole orchestra of the team and the athletes as well. So that's a little bit more a different job than being a violin player in, the, in an orchestra. So he's more the conductor. And you have to understand the conductor, why he's doing some things and leaving some things that you think is important is out. Uh, there's a thought to it, and I hope you can find that thought or talk to uh, to him or her. So, that, yeah, sorry? The, the, there is a, a, a gap. We can bridge it if it's only for temporarily or in a certain situation. We have to bridge the gap if, in order to get the best out of each other, the, uh, the best out of the coach and the best out of the sports scientific support. 
and many sports scientists, of course, number one, I, th- I think they spend too much time behind their laptops. That's number one. Just looking at what PubMed for a new publication has or taking the five most read uh, 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 journals, and, and that's about it. That's about it. Uh, by barely, if you say, well, there's not an interesting article in German or in Russian, or in Italian or in Spanish, I take the effort to, to, to read it, and they just don't. They just only English-based literature, you know, strength and conditioning journal and things like that, the, the European Journal of Applied Physiology, the, the, the more obvious ones. But if there's there's a whole world out there and people who whose language you don't speak and <laughs> just neglect that, there's a whole world out there of science and research and things we found uh, already more than 10 years ago, but you don't read that. You don't say, well, that's already old. Yeah, it's already old, but Newton's apple fell from the tree. It's still falling in this, into the same direction, even if he discovered gravity in this way uh, a couple of hundred years ago. Not much changed. It's basic. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. I think it's it's super interesting to to get your thoughts on that as well. Um, and something you touched on just a minute ago was the how you get the best out of your team. So how do you how do you get the the violin player to play well with the rest? So with with that in mind, uh, where do you think that the the value lies in having specialists within a team? So for example, your sports scientist, your strength and conditioning yep. coach, dietitian. Um, where does the value lie, and how can you then get the best out of them? Well. This is this is uh, one of the pro- uh, one of the uh, the problems is the coach should be in the lead all the time, and the coach should should kind of uh, uh, analyze and 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 manage what is important in this uh, period because of course in a team everybody thinks he's important. I mean uh, the forward in the soccer team thinks he's important because he scores the goals, but the 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 goalkeeper also thinks he's the most important because he he's he's stopping all the goals uh, from the other side. So. Who is more important here? Well, it depends a little bit on, on what is the demand of the athlete. What are the problems to solve? That, that's what more important is. But everybody tries to make himself more important than he is. I've seen that uh, being the background of many conflicts, overt conflicts or, 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 or that, that manifested or, or, or conflicts that never happened but didn't lead to optimal results because everybody is kind of sabotaging, thinking he or, her, he or she was more important than the other ones. And um, that was simply because I met a sports scientist uh, a long time ago and I said, hey, I'm a biomechanics uh, expert. And I said, what is, what is important? I'm a young and naive coach. He said, well, of course, biomechanics is the most important. I mean, you can take any pill in the world and you can be mentally strong, but if your biomechanics is off, you don't run anywhere. Then I went to the psychologist and the psychologist told me, yeah, you can run beautifully, biomechanically very sound, very efficient, but if you crack on the pressure, not, nothing happens. And of course, the dietitian said, well, you can be mentally strong and biomechanically sound, but you know, if you have anemia because you're missing iron or magnesium, you don't go anywhere. So, and they were all right, and they were, yeah, <laughs> they were kind of pushing their own uh, field, as a matter of fact. 
and I think everybody is, uh, even the coaches at the service of the athlete, we talk about it, but it doesn't happen very often, uh, say, well, um, athlete-centered, uh, coach-driven more. That's that's a nice uh, empty phrase, which which in in real in, in reality doesn't really happen. So. And do you think it's then the the responsibility of the head coach to make sure that their their team is orchestrated in the correct manner or the the optimal <clears throat> manner? Yeah, because the head coach is the one uh, the, the 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 main responsible here, and he he gets his ass kicked if he loses three three matches back to back. <laughs> so you better make sure the whole thing is, is uh, okay. But often he is overwhelmed by. Uh, more by marketing, more by people who make themselves very important. Uh, and that could be sports scientists as well, anybody, uh, sports doctors, or doctors in sports medicine or physical therapists who try to make themselves more important and, and, and trying to be closer to the head coach and, 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 and convince him of their importance and what they say is, is the most valuable to him. Of course, that happens. That's normal and human. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it takes a lot of uh, very conscious effort to not do that. I think. Um, yeah, you have you have to really reflect on yourself and think. Okay, well, I'm I did X, Y, and Z this week, but actually that added up to maybe 0.5 percent of what they're going to do. Um, yeah. and all the other stuff is really important too. Yeah, yeah. Well, the more people in the team, the more opinions you have, and the more uh, I would say are not even captains on the ship, but more rowers in the boat, which might not always row into the in, in to, uh, synchronize into the same direction. So th- this is uh, more a management uh, task, which you don't learn from books or workshop, which you have to experience, or maybe sometimes you have the, the genetics to uh, <laughs> to be a good manager, manage a complex situation with many people or leadership skills. <clears throat> and that's something that you don't learn as a head coach uh, <clears throat> in a couple of days. I think it's, uh, it's very interesting as well when you say that to think about how we as coaches can then uh, better ourselves and make sure that we are doing those kind of things and, and developing those skills, which you might not optimally develop as uh, a sports scientist or a strength conditioning coach. Maybe you need to do something else, uh, be in a different situation in order to, to learn those things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think most people coming from university don't have much experience in sports in the first place, apart from the fact that they kick the ball themselves or hit a hockey ball with a hockey stick. But uh, five years ago, but uh, that's about it. They don't have much experience, and and they they you have to give them a chance to grow and and to do better. But they have to adapt. That's it. And not because they have a a, a, a degree that they feel more superior than the coach who is a well a, a high school teacher. So uh, that, that, that's basically it, and, and sometimes you taste this a little bit, you know. That, that's kind, of, but it's not my problem because I don't employ anyone, uh, no sports scientist. I'm a one-man band, doing everything by myself. So it's not by choice, but more by history and by lack of money and uh, <coughs> and resources from the past. So well, if nobody is doing the job, I had to do the job. So I, I educated myself in in many fields. So. I think that's a fantastic example. And before we, we close things up, I want to yeah, quiz you on your extensive knowledge and experience and, and try and get the, the one most difficult question that we can get out of you. And that's, what is the one thing that you see or do differently which the rest of the world can learn from? <clears throat> I think there's two things. That's number one, I'm not driven by anxiety. The anxiety of the coach that he didn't give it all he had. 
Yes, it, uh, that's why my statement, train as much as necessary, not as much as possible. And many coaches are driven by anxiety that they don't train enough. Now, I'm in a previous situation to work with explosive athletes who uh, can handle less training load as well as volume is uh, is concerned and then, of course, uh, other athletes, uh, team athletes. But consider the amount of injuries. Every injury is an overload injury. The underload injury does not exist for athletes, yes. I don't train. So if I start doing sprinting outside now, I pull a hamstring. That's an underload injury. But 99% of the injuries are overload injuries. So what are we doing to our athletes? We're harming them and we're harming them physically and probably for the rest of their lives. So could we do with less? I'm a kind of a minimalist. That's number one. And not too many coaches, uh, everybody says they do. I mean, when you look, they just don't. The second one is individualism. And science is based on generalism, on generalizing information and data to come up with averages. And I look at unique individuals, most of the time genetic freaks. So I, <clears throat> I never copy somebody else's program. Uh, I don't look at what sports scientists say because the research might be performed on untrained people or athletes that run 12 seconds in the 100 meters or my guy is running under 10 seconds. And the, everything that applies to this average athlete might not apply to my genetic freak and the other way around so i'm an extreme individualist as far as training and uh, and guidance is uh, concerned i look at every angle at every athlete it takes some time to get to know them we do dna test metabolic test of course a normal physiological and biomechanical test uh dexa scans the whole thing so i know what makes the athlete tick physically and uh, and mentally. We do stress tests to see how they how they cope with the uh, stress under different circumstances. And of course normal human observation and um, you know that that's I think what I mean but apart from that I'm working harder than any coach in the world. Uh, um, I think I'm basically engaged for 16 hours a day and uh, try to study um, I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive. So if there's a book that somebody tells me, hey, Hank, did you read that book? And I didn't, then I'm pissed off because he has read a book that I didn't. And people that know me know this is true. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you how do you then switch off? I think that's um, maybe it's a little bit off topic, but how do you then, if you're working for 16 hours a day, there's probably a lot of coaches listening thinking, yeah, I also work very long hours and, and have <clears> little <throat> free time. How do you make sure that you're, you're not burning out? No, well, one saying is, of course, that that what you it, it it if you do something that you really like then then uh, it's it's not as hard as as you go to the uh, Monday morning go to your office with a face like this okay I have to go again you know just for the money I never did anything for money I don't care how much money I make so I never got a decent salary from somebody who paid me every month so I had to do this everything myself and if there was no money didn't I didn't really care and if I got uh, fired from the federation, which happened to me one time <laughs> in, in Holland, um, because I thought I was right, and I, I'm pretty sure and proved afterwards they were completely wrong. They even excused for that, but that's another story. Then I didn't really care. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of myself that I'm a, a decent coach, not as good as I, I I I could have been maybe, but I'm a, I'm a decent coach. I know what I'm talking about. There's not much that I I do just because. I, we always did those things or this is the way you become good. You have to believe. No, no, I have a logical and rational explanation for the things that I do. Uh, so 
based on basic basic science and and based on experience now after so many uh, years of uh, of uh, of uh, failure and and uh, success and try to make the mis- same mistake only once and never try to make it twice absolutely fantastic Hank massive thanks for your time today I really appreciate it it's been an absolute pleasure talking Matt you're welcome <laughs> thank you very thanks much for your questions and your time pleasure and that's it once again a massive thanks to Hank for all of his hard work on today's podcast I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too so if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you've been triggered by some of the things that Hank has said to improve yourself as a coach or practitioner, be sure to check out the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures of around two hours in total, but the two hours is broken down into bite-sized chunks of 10 to 15 minutes. So if you want to take Hank's advice and make sure that you're as well-rounded as possible as a practitioner, get your seven-day free trial of the Coach Academy. And all you have to do to do that is click the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to also hit the subscribe button on whichever sender you're listening to. That means you won't miss out on next week's fantastic episode. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.